let's go ahead and get started. Uh, today, we're joined by Ryan Deitch. This is Jay. Welcome to Tragedy Academy, a show created to bridge societal divides in a judgment-free zone using candor and humor. How you doing today, Ryan? Uh, doing just swell. And yourself? Living the dream, my man. Uh, Ryan is known for his advocacy work with March for Our Lives, some content creation and involvement with uh, another social media phenomenon that we'll talk about later. So how you, how's, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, kind of go from there? Uh, yeah, sure. So I grew up in uh, South Florida. Uh, I was born and raised there uh, to an American Jewish household. Uh, I had a, ra a rather good childhood, a rather safe childhood. That was up until my senior year of high school, uh, where my hometown of Parkland experienced uh, one of the worst high school uh, mass shooting tragedies uh, our nation has seen, uh, with 17 dead and 17 injured. I myself was uh, put under lockdown uh, for several hours, not knowing if I was going to live or die uh, in, the in the closet of the school journalism classroom. Uh, from that experience, I worked as a student journalist covering the stories of uh, various people who are surviving the shooting uh, in, in real time. Uh, and I used that experience to talk to various media, and that eventually led to organizing with my fellow students uh, for what became known as uh, the March for Our Lives, mm -hmm. uh, which led a mass protest uh, on March 24th, 2018, uh, one of the largest uh, youth-led protests uh, of, throughout American history. Uh, and then that led to mm -hmm. uh, hundreds of chapter organizations, students uh, ranging from elementary all the way through to grad school, uh, joining this movement uh, for of gun violence prevention and for youth empowerment. And that, that was really the last uh, four or five years I've been doing a lot of that advocacy work. Uh, alongside that, I attended American University where I received a degree in international service focusing on uh, U.S. foreign policy and human rights. Uh, so now it brings me to, after all of that time in D.C., I'm trying to dedicate myself to more creative ventures, uh, lean into more of my uh, passionate creative side. So I've moved to New York City uh, and am doing various work uh, in screen and stage. Uh, I love that. And um, I want to preface before we go any further that I could not begin to fathom what that would be like as an adult, much less as a child. I don't believe that anybody should ever have to endure something like that. PTSD is real. It is a lifelong battle um, with various modicums of or different ways to take care of yourself through it. But it, on the surface, it's one of the most terrifying things to think that a child is going through and being left, you know, uncared for. Because I, I feel like that was kind of the situation with this particular shooting. I mean, the... The issue that we experienced, the, the tragedy of everything that happened was, and, and what a lot of the young people organizing in the town after the fact, it was that we had this sort of collective idea that the adults in our lives had failed us in mm. a way, that, that the safety that we were told would, would be ever present uh, clearly was not, especially, I mean, in a classroom setting. So that sort of shattering of reality led us to, there was, there was a time where the older people and the younger people in town, there were some schisms and division. Hey. I feel that a lot of that has been healed over uh, with time, but uh, definitely there was a lot of uh, animosity and distrust given hey. that, I mean, my hometown of Parkland was voted the safest city in Florida for a decade prior to the shooting. Hey. So to... And, and, and I say that as also to make people aware for those listening that this can fundamentally happen anywhere in this country. It's an absolutely it tragic has. reality. It, it continues to. And it's, it's a tragic reality we find ourselves in. But what I've been doing, what my friends and colleagues have been doing is just trying to empower ourselves, trying to empower communities that not only face these tragedies, but try to prevent 
these tragedies from ever occurring because we know that that journey of trauma and PTSD, that's a lifelong journey that we don't want to accumulate more and more people uh, going through such things if, if they frankly don't have to. Completely understand what you're saying. Um, I like to use the analogy of glasses and prescriptions. And you said something that stuck out to me. You said that the adults or parents or whomever the uh, figures were in those positions had failed you as a generation or as the people, the, the children that were in that school, whatever it might be. Um, I think it's pretty good to assume that that's kind of the situation that we're looking at as a whole. Um, and it, it concerns me a lot because I feel like showing weakness or misunderstanding of somebody else's plight is not something that is going to expose you to ridicule. It's actually going to heal wounds. And when I talk about glasses and I talk about when I say it, I say there's prescriptions for every experience that we go through. That is another change to your lens. And every person goes through a separate set of experiences that are only predicated on what they've seen and nobody else, especially in sequence, right? So that means that when you're sitting down with somebody and they're telling you how they feel or what they see or what their plight is, it is up to you to understand that just like when you're at the table and you do that little game where you exchange glasses and you go, I can't see. <laughs> well, guess what? That applies to experiences in life and viewpoints from different areas. And I feel like our generation for your generation need to understand that just because we have a wisdom prescription, we don't have an experience prescription in that area. We don't know what it's like to live in fear in the same way in a classroom. I know I didn't. I lived in a small town or a rural community in buttfuck Florida, right? There was nothing happening there. I mean, there was always rumors. People had like shotguns in the back windows of their car. Again, Florida is, the, you know, Alabama is Florida's Twinkie filling. Like, we know this. But I, I hear you when you say that. And I, I encourage people of the other generation to look back and say, hey, you know what? I don't have that prescription. So I've got to believe what they're telling me at face value. Because people don't scream when they're not in pain. I'll repeat that. People don't scream when they're not in pain. Unless they're faking. And it's real easy to see when a whole entire generation is shaking in their boots and telling you, why does everybody have these guns or whatever the thought process is, we have no way to look back. Again, I don't sit on any fence with anything with this show. If you've noticed, the logo's yin-yang. We like to keep it that way, and every good, there's a little evil. Every evil, there's a little good. Nothing's perfect, right? And it does me no good to ever stand on any pedestal and yell into somebody else's face because that's just never worked since the dawn of time. But we can talk about things like mental health for the victims, for the people that end up with these arms in their hands. You know, and for what you're doing now, because I think that there is a huge, huge, what's the word I'm looking for here? Note to be taken. With regard to you looking back at what you've been through, but now pivoting to become the creator that you are or were created to be. I feel like that's a fundamental thing that we'll explain later. I, I, I want to talk yeah. about. But you, you follow me so far? No. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I, I think that, you know, our generation needs to realize that. And we can apply that to all situations. Societal divides, any kind of segregation of any sort is predicated on their experiences, not mine, if I'm on the opposing side of it or viewpoint or have not experienced it. And, and I just want to be absolutely clear, especially with uh, the sort of in my political organizing and the various things that I've advocated for and worked on, I met with people all across, uh, primarily the of continental United States, uh, people all across the planet, all age ranges, people from all sorts of walks of life. And I personally, I will say, I am not against firearms as a tool. I'm not against people owning them, especially I'm not against people who feel a genuine need to have self-defense mm -hmm. or people who want to have a hobby, a, a sporting uh, hobby of some kind. 
what what I am against is unnecessary carnage, violence uh, against especially mass crowds of people mm. to the point in which society cannot function peaceably. I think we need to make sure that uh, we can we can still have room for community alongside these sorts of tools because these Absolutely. are tools. And it's a matter of whose hands are they in. And I think, especially in the United States, we don't do the best of jobs uh, disarming domestic abusers, uh, people who mm. have been known to be violent against others or themselves, uh, especially because we know that a lot of the gun violence statistics, uh, almost half, if not over, uh, account for suicides, which, I mean, that, <laughs> that again, we would repeat that, please. That last piece, can you repeat that? It, it's that a lot of the gun violence statistics, it does come to its self-inflicted uh, self-harm uh, wounds involving firearms. That should speak volumes in and of itself. I don't own weapons. I don't own weapons for one reason and one reason only. I don't care what anybody else is doing as long as they're hurting others. But I have mental health issues that have led me down paths where I've, you know, been very close to suicide or have attempted different things. And I know that if that had been in a box in my home, shit, that's a quick one. Like there are points in time in my life where who wouldn't want to? That's the easiest way out. And we don't need to provide that if it doesn't need to be provided. We have to talk to people and find out what it is that, you know, they're going through long before we ever can toss a weapon in their hands, for God's sakes. Like, it's a little weird to me that you can go to Walmart, you know, and pick up your whatever. Other people come around and just like, what the fuck? And I know that we're going to get, you know, everybody's going to be like, oh, Harper, I don't care. I'm going to keep them. I grew up hog hunting in fucking Okeechobee, Florida. Like, yes. I get it, dude. Like, my whole family is a bunch of rednecks. I would own one if I didn't, want, you know, have the mental issues I had. Don't need to. Right? I've got my own forms of home defense that I have implemented. But it's important that you point that out because it's not just people with nefarious intent. And when I say nefarious, I mean, that's a different backstop than your own head. Right? That's, that's a horrible thing, a horrible tool to hand somebody in that situation because it doesn't give you a chance to contemplate. Yeah, it, it is a real, it's, it's, it's a quick method. And I definitely, I, I'm so sorry that you have found yourself in those positions in your life. I empathize certainly as, as somebody who has also just been through immense trauma and, and, and immense situations where it, the way out seems to be suicide. And for myself, I look to the whimsy in the world. I look to the beauty that's out there in not just myself, in others that I can meet in nature, going on walks, seeing uh, museums, looking at art pieces, uh, just just trying to do anything to not just stay deep in that hole and continue to spiral. I, I love that you're doing that. And I'd like to point out that the description that you're giving is actually one that is centered around a single word, and that's mindfulness. And then behind that is gratitude, right? If we... Yeah practice mindfulness and we're not living in a non-existent moment within our own head, no matter where we are on this rock, then we're respecting what we have and we're able to see the beauty in it. How much wasted time do we have living in moments that either have existed or have not existed, but have no influence over the current being that you are, unless you choose it to be yours, right? So I like to commend you because that mindfulness is a, it's a first step towards healing in any kind of mental health, traumatic background, whatever it is. That's a key thing to be able to recognize the things around you and be grateful for what they are or how they impact you or just the the sheer magnitude of the smallest things will bring you and, to and, your and knees when you start to look at it. I, I, won't, I won't pretend like I'm perfect on Hell that no. by any means, but it is something that I try to commit myself to. It's something that I truly uh, believe is, is like to each their own, of course, whatever it is that brings somebody joy. I personally find immense joy in just even the passions of others. 
if somebody's right. really into something, they really they just really like it and they want to talk about it, I can listen for hours. But it's just like I'm saying, to each their own. It's whatever it is that just gets you out of that rut. We're, but the goal is to stay out of it. Yeah, well, we're unique. What, what you're describing is the fact that um, weird thing that I saw the other day. I think we've all seen these, but it popped up a video, right? And you know how they put like a frequency into a sheet of metal and they put sand on it? And as you change the frequency, you can see the sand changing form to what is basically different mandalas based yeah. on, you know, how the vibration is hitting it. And I started thinking about it the other day because they say everything is vibration, right? You know, string theory will support that, quantum physics. Now, all these things say that energy is just dense or not or whatever it is, right? But I thought about that. There's always a center point inside of that mandala where everything originates from. And if I were to make a 360-degree view of that and say I'm a snowflake, right, then I'm unique in and of myself. And at any point in time, as long as I'm being 100% me, I am one of those mandalas vibrating at the most beautiful frequency. We become different shapes, just like on that metal. We move based on how we're projecting ourselves from inside. If we're in a state of gratitude, if we're in a state of mindfulness, even respecting if we're upset about something or having malice or being bad day, whatever, jealous, whatever the fuck it could be, you're changing. You're in flux that whole time until what? Until you start being yourself 100% of the time. Once you do that, it doesn't change anymore. To not be yourself is a slap in the face of whomever or whatever made you. That's it. Who are we to pick the right ways to do things against what is naturally, you know, what we're naturally inclined to do? That's for somebody else. That's for fear. That's for judgment. Just like the clothes we picked out, 99% of the people put them on their back for someone else to give them some kind of accolade or to look at them favorably or whatever it might be. That's how twisted we are. So someone that's been through trauma that starts doing, you know, mindful exercises and you said nature and getting back to your creativity. Um, I think that people that suffer from PTSD and mental health issues should turn up the headphones right now. Because this is a key element in growth. Can you tell us what brought you back to your passion for creativity and what kind of arts you're talking about? Well, I've, I've always tried to incorporate just my skill set in the arts mm -hmm. in the sort of political work I've done. I've made a multitude sure. of PSAs. I uh, ran social media pages. Uh, I, I've made all sorts of graphics and things. So, so I continue to use like Adobe Suite. I continue mm -hmm. to carry my camera around. Uh, but obviously the content itself being much more serious, much more grounded in uh, human tragedy. Uh, but so at, at first, prior to the shooting, prior to everything that had happened at my high school, uh, I was the founder of the school improv club. I nice. had, I had a dream of performing, uh, with the second city in Chicago. No shit. Uh, I love that. I did. That's a great dream. I lived on, uh, on ninth and state for a couple of years. I had an apartment up there. Love it. Nice. I, I never ended up getting out there. Uh, but I did do a little bit of open mic standup, uh, in Chicago back when I was 17, uh, it, it was it was a really good time, and I really enjoyed that sort of stuff. But given the immense weight of the tragedy that I had experienced, the position I was put in, uh, where I could talk to all these media talking heads, I could talk to uh, members of Congress and the White House, and I was just given this immense privilege and access uh, to these sorts of power brokers when trying to uh, just make positive change in our society, trying to help people and save lives. So I just felt an immense obligation to that work. And mm, I feel course. like af after giving so many years of my time and energy uh, with 
nary getting paid for the vast majority of the work that I conducted. But you didn't do it for uh, that. I, I didn't do any of it for the paycheck, but I still have bills to pay. I still, I, I still have things that I need to cover. So that's where I've just been looking. I've been doing a lot of freelance creative work, uh, videography, photography, uh, just consulting work, just an anything that I can do to just stay in creative spaces. Uh, I've, I've done press for conferences. I, I've done testimonial interviews, uh, ju just a really anything that gets me behind a camera, anything that gets me to creating a product, because especially when it comes to a lot of this political change, it's a lot slower than we might want it to huh. be. That's so an understatement. People don't understand it, the, the litigation highway and how long it takes to get things through hoops. And honestly, the number of people that utilize the amount of time that it takes to get through things in order to put people in positions where they can't afford to stay. There's a, there's a huge, I had a different life before this life and I don't, I could care less litigation arbitration because you're right. It doesn't ever move forward. It sits People will die waiting to see something pass that could give them life. It, it is an absolute tragedy. I'll give you a personal example of it's the Safer Communities Act, which was the first federal law uh, meant to address gun violence, meant to prevent gun violence in 30 years, mm -hmm. in, in just about 30 years. So that was the first time in my lifetime that any legislation federally had been passed. We had done many state laws, many city ordinances, all sorts of things lower than federal. With that one law, it took tens of thousands of people dying in shootings for Congress to act, for the White House to act, for them to finally, and, and even still, we know to this day, gun violence isn't fully prevented by that one piece of legislation. Nah. It had. It has provided money to uh, gun violence prevention groups on the ground, violence interrupters, people who are really getting into communities and stopping shootings when they're happening. People are doing tremendous work, but it is still a slow process. And that itself, I was personally lobbying for for over three and a half years. So that's that's one law. That's three pretty and a half fast. Years. And yes, that I, is I, I want to be very honest. That is pretty fast. <laughs> That's, I mean, in fact, that's, that's super fast considering uh, it's a law. Well, you also have to take into account the people who have been in this fight since the 30 this years ago. Okay, the so last piece so of there are people, you know, predecessors, but I get you now, but for, in for my me, mindset, myself, I'm like, it was a short time yeah. period. So it's a miracle for me. Yeah. But there okay, are other that people makes sense. who, Fair enough. They're, they're finally breathing yeah. a sigh of Col relief. Columbine wasn't yesterday. I'm tracking. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I get it. There's been. There's been a lot of people that have picked up that torch and ran with it to try to help those that have, you know, been in the wake of these, you know, mass shootings or different violent activities and domestic abuse and whatever it might be. Um, but you're talking about creativity right now, right? Yes. And I, something stuck out to me when you started describing taking that left step into the political world being thrust into the limelight and having that care that real genuine desire because of what you've been through, we have to figure out. It's either fight or flight, right? We know this, especially after that, right? Yeah. Humans are subject to that no matter what. Fight or flight. It don't matter how much of a hero you thought you were till the day, doesn't matter. Like, you're going to run if you're going to run, right? You know, that's, yeah. that's, the way that I, that's the way that I look at things. But I kind of lost where I was going here on this. But in, in my mind, the creativity piece is, yeah. is a linchpin. And it's going to show people that you're getting a chance to be yourself again, right? I feel like I, what happened then, and this is what I was going to say, is that you had your innocence stolen. You stepped to the side. And when that happened, it, I can't only imagine that the whimsical part of life does not exist from that day forward until it's reintegrated. I mean, like I'm saying, I, I engage from... Uh, from February 2018 all the way through to even the present day, I'm still engaging in these sorts of conversations with victims, survivors, mm. family members, Thank people who've buried loved ones. 
And the, these are, I, I find these conversations to be sometimes empowering, sometimes absolutely tragic. The mm. fact that more and more people are joining this club that no one should have to be a member of. And it's, it's just, I, 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 I like where you say like that idea of innocence being stolen. It's that I have been told my entire life, like, oh, you're twenties. This is the time. This is the best time. Your happiest time time where you can find yourself, do what you want. And it's dur during this time, although I have had choices, of course, I have also been thrust into these sorts of positions where the, the more humanitarian choice is the better choice as opposed to, uh, in my mind, for the longest time, I viewed my creative passions as selfish. I viewed mm, it as... I did the uh, same thing. thing. That's a heavy burden. It's it, and and I took that burden upon myself. But I don't want to yeah. act like some sort of saint. I don't want to act like I'm all high and mighty or anything like that. It's just I wanted to do the right thing. I was taught in my upbringing to question authority. I was taught to help those in need, to stand with those who face uh, violence and oppression. So I've been just trying to implement those lessons throughout my life and throughout the spaces I found myself in. Absolutely you have. I think you should probably tell yourself that it's okay to be the best version of you and not feel like you're putting other people by the wayside while doing it. I can understand what you mean in the fact that we have drawn so many lines in society that it says that if you are not doing this, then you must not care or you are in a position that is better than someone else, or you're, you know, we just have all these different ways to put judgmental lenses on somebody that's not doing what we're doing or not viewing it the way we're viewing it. But that's not the case, right? Because if we go back to being yourself, any version of you that is not 100% you will never be the best for the world. If you're painting a picture and you're looking over your shoulder at the people that are judging your painting and the colors you are choosing, you're going to fuck up your painting. Why? Because you're looking elsewhere and you're not doing it for the right reasons. And if you fuck up, yeah. pay attention because there's a reason you fucked up. Because when you back up, guess what? That's probably the glint in the eye of the portrait that you were putting together that you think you fucked up, but ended up being the sharpest piece of the entire thing that gave it the character. Talking to my buddy Eric about AI art. AI art has its place. It does have a formula behind it that creates it, but it won't replace regular art and it shouldn't have to compete with it. Why? Because art is a fingerprint. If you feel threatened by AI art, then you're not producing art. You're producing shit for other people in my mind. Because if you're threatened by it, then you're not putting your fingerprint on things. You don't believe in yourself enough to go as raw with your art as you possibly can. Right? That's the way I feel. And I didn't feel that way before. I stifled every bit of creativity. I worked in the corporate world. I worked in the military. I did a million jobs. I wore a million masks and I was fucking good at all of them. And you know what I learned? I can do anything, but I can suck at life when I'm doing anything but being me. I can look good on paper, buy an Audi, get a theater, get a bigger house. Everybody thinks you got it together. You got a tie, man. You don't get accused of shit, especially if you're white America. Plus, man, you could run around three sheets to the wind with Percocet up your ass and nobody would know the difference. They'd be like, excuse me, Mr. Smith. You know, I'm... I'm well enough to understand that, right? So I rant a bit, but you get where I'm coming from. I, I get what you're coming from. And that just makes me think also in a lot of this work, I mean, one, one thing was uh, just engaging with a, a certain subset of a donor class. Uh, very, very much I'm reminded of by, you just say like, yeah, anyone can get away with much by wearing a tie. And oh, dude. White American. <laughs> it's so true. It's, it, it's a, there were just some, like, sometimes I would hear deeply offensive commentary, deeply callous commentary, but they're donors. They're giving some money. So you have I to be nice it. to them. 
and and play pretty. And that is not the type of game that I like to play. Clearly, I'm more than happy. I'll be nice to anybody, but if you're if you're rude to me, if you if you're crossing me in a way, and I'm telling you, you you're like if you're stepping on my foot, I tell you you're stepping on my foot, and you don't get off, then we're gonna have a problem. that's a power play. I don't <laughs> like people trying to make power plays at me. If you stand on my toes while we're talking and you don't move your foot, just like you're saying, there's a probably a good chance that I'm going to break my rule of fighting and hit you square in the larynx. Like, you're not going to swallow for a good six months if you stand on my toe and do one of those quiet in your ear fucking conversations. No. We have to make shit like that not acceptable under any circumstances. I don't care if you got on a tie or a fucking top hat. You can't say racist shit. If we make it not okay in any circumstances, what do children do when you ignore them? They stop doing what they're doing. You just fucking slap their crap live time. You know? And remind them when you say it, do it quick. You know? You're going to remember this moment for the rest of your life and you should be ashamed. And then you walk off. I'm 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 big on punching Nazis. I'm I'm big on I that. I say that, but I shouldn't because again, what do you cure over a fence? I I mean like like I say, it's not that I, I'm not picking fights oh, with I'd, anybody. I'd punch a Nazi. If, if a Nazi comes up to me and, and starts talking about the white nation, like we're not get, we're not gonna be friends. You should you should attack that person. I'm a big fan of political attire only for one reason. And that is, I know who not to talk to. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a red flag from across a fucking parking lot. I'm like, we're good. I know that I don't need that conversation. If it's some kind of hateful message of some sort, you know, this is Florida. Obviously, there's passive aggressiveness on cars, on shirts, on everything, like everywhere you go. And I am a bit upset that my American flag is no longer my American flag, that it's associated with so many horrible things. And yeah. I, I'm telling you, I've been talking to Gary for a long time that I want to come up with a campaign that takes the flag back, right? I want something I'll, I'll, that... I'll say we tried that uh, Dude, a little bit. Yeah, I'm it, sure it, you it, did, it man. Too I, well. I, I know <laughs> this. It, it's hard when people drape themselves in something you're supposed to societally never disrespect. You know, if you're hiding underneath it to do your shady shit or say your racist things and stand with pride, then fuck off, man. You're not American in my book. You're doing the least American thing. We're supposed to be, you know, bring us your, what, your starving, your hunger, or whatever the fuck it is. Lady Liberty, she stands out there. It says something. I was lucky. I was born here. You know, well, no, I was born in Germany, actually. My dad was in the Air Force, so. Yeah. Um, otherwise. I'm lucky. I didn't have to do anything hard to get here. If we put the hard to get here on the plates of the people that are already here and tell them they have to finish that meal before they get up or they got to get out. Yeah. This place would be fucking empty. <laughs> tell me. My, my wife, both her parents are immigrants. When I listen yeah. to the story of how my father-in-law got here from Colombia, I'm like, I know a thousand people that would never do one of those things under any circumstances. It's it's a tough journey. Like like I said, that was my degree path. I studied primarily Western Hemisphere, uh, human rights. I uh, just worked with a lot of different migration groups. I've I've been to the southern border. I've I've met with both uh, members of ICE, and I've met with uh, community organizations that are helping uh, migrants, asylum seekers. It, it it's a real tragic. That's a whole other tragic mess. That's bizarre to me. I say it all the time. Like I can't wrap my head around every tragedy that's happening in the world, but I can simplify things. And at the end of the day, I feel like a human claiming land or ownership of things is kind of like a flea putting a fucking flag in a dog's ass and claiming it is theirs permanently. It doesn't work. The earth don't give a fuck about us. We're a landslide away from not existing at any moment. But we're standing out, you know, this is me or whatever. No matter where you are in the world, just respect the fact that it belongs to everyone. The world belongs to everyone. 
And I'm I, saying that as I realize what is behind you in your in your room. But in my mind, I just believe that there's enough for everyone on the earth to live together. No, and I, and I mean, like, even... It wasn't referring to that behind, as what I was saying. <laughs> no, 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 just even with the signage behind me and everything, it, it is meant to be liberatory. It is meant that nations of people should be free to exist as they are. They, they shouldn't be oppressed. They shouldn't be violently suppressed. I mean, like, even in my own history, I, I come from Ashkenazi Jews from the Pale of Settlement. Mm -hmm. They escaped pogroms. I have ancestral stories of rape. Bro, and you guys pillaging. went through so much to be who you are. I mean, you're, you were wiped out to one of the smallest groups there and barely made it out. I don't even know how. Like, the, my it's, wife has Ashkenazi Jew in her. I had no idea. And I'm like, but it makes sense. Her family before Columbia from Egypt. It's that a lot of that strength came from just having connections in other places, having community that transcended borders and empires that allowed for survival. Because if there was one place where they're trying to exterminate you and there's another place that even if it's not fully safe, it's somewhere that you can. It's not there. Breath. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, if you give me two choices of a place to be, one where I'm being hurt and one where there's no hurt at the moment, I'm going to door two every time. Yeah. That's like asking somebody to not pull their hand off a hot stove. Fuck you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take but my so, chances with burner number two. But so with, with like mentioning my family history and everything like that, I, use, I root that, that sort of just experience in my ideology in the belief that, well, my family was only able to survive by transcending borders, by being able to rely on beautiful uh, solidarity groups, mutual aid, because they had support and because they were able to mm. be sponsored into the United States. They were given homes. They were, they were fed and clothed and housed. It's just, I can't feasibly deny that to another human being, knowing Under that I would not be here today. That's a beautiful way to look at it. It's very humble. Um, I, I agree with you that oftentimes we hear things like past lives, right? And a lot of people get tied up in the thought process of, oh, I might have been a ninja in this other world or some shit like that. I don't know why they get bizarre thought processes. But when you say it to me now, my mind says the struggle and the plight of the generation before me. Right? Because when you're born, if you're born with facial expressions, attitudes, mannerisms, guess what? You're born with pain. You're born with generational baggage. You're there to carry it forward and release it as best you can without picking more up in the process. And when you have that tenacity, because we see tenacity in groups that come from struggle, right? Places where other people would stop as their bare minimum, is way behind the threshold of these people. They will continue to fight because it's in their DNA. DNA is your past life. It's your grandma. It's your great-grandma. It's the one before that. Somewhere along the line, the strength of the person walking through the Red Sea is in you, if that makes sense. I mean, that's the way I'm looking at it. Getting biblical, but yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, we're going all the way back. If we we're going to say that's the generational strength that we draw upon, everybody has that. Everybody has pain that comes from those things. You could have a long stemming mental health issue in your family that is really not necessarily a mental health issue, but it's in your DNA because it needs to be scrubbed. You have to work on yourself. You have to sit down, cleanse work on meditation and realize that you have the ability to stop that tra that trauma that has been coming from generation to generation and being passed on. So I, I think it's cool. I love watching those things. I look at, you know, past history and see where different people came from. I'm actually mad. I say it all the time at 23andMe, really mad. Because when they did mine, I dropped out of the fucking sky. Like I have yeah. no... Anywhere outside of Germany, England, and France, or Great Britain, England, and France. That's it. Like, I don't even have, like, one little faint trail headed down to, like, you know, the Mesopotamian River Valley, or maybe over here to, you know, into Africa. Nothing. Like, I dropped out of the effing sky.
I was like, come on, man. You guys can give me something, right? <laughs> Some kind of lineage, not just white. <laughs> yeah, my, mine just says Jewish. My aunt did it for everybody. And it just, it just said Jewish. Ashkenazi Jew. <laughs> I mean, but at the end of the day, we're all humans, right? Yeah. I love the seasonings of humanity, right? I love. Funny way to put it. And if yeah. they're mixed correctly, you get soup. But if you start yeah. adding shit that shouldn't be in there, it's fucked up. And you can't unseason soup. So you got to pick wow. and choose what you put into situations. If you're bringing negativity to the situation, you already lost. You can't take negativity back out of a boiling pot. Yeah. You got to dilute it or wait, find another pot. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So where is your creativity taking you now? What's the next project? What's the next step for Ryan? Well, it's a, it's a range because uh, I, I just have never really believed putting all your eggs in one basket. So I just continue to move, continue to do various things. Right now, it's all, I'm looking at the open mic nights just around Manhattan, around Brooklyn, uh, up here in New York. I'm looking at, uh, doing production assistant work uh, for various uh, jobs. Obviously, given the the actor strike, it's a little difficult yeah. uh, when it comes to filmed things. Uh, but when it comes to stage, when it comes to things in theater on Broadway, uh, there's there's still a lot more work going around. Uh, but for myself personally, there's a series of video essays that I've always been meaning to make that I have scripts for uh, things for like. <laughs> The, the movie Lion King one and a half, for instance. Uh, <laughs> Here we go. I was waiting for this side of Ryan. I knew it was coming because when I was doing my research, I was like, oh, wait a minute. Birds aren't real. That's fucking amazing, dude. You were behind the social media on that fucking phenomenon. Like when, there, when it was, it was really the way that it grew so fast. When, when it was really taking off, they needed some support. So I helped out with the Facebook. I helped out with the Twitter, the, the Instagram. Uh, I, I did a lot of the direct messages because I, I like adding that personal touch to like, I, I hate auto replies Same. on anything. Like Can't if, stand if it. You're gonna take, if you're going to take the time to talk to this, like engage with a, whether it's an institution, whether it's a celebrity, like if they're going to reply, I want it to be a human response. So I would always come up with things like, thank you for joining the Bird Nation, uh, your, your support. Your, your, you know, your, I would do all sorts of shit if you put us. me in that seat. I would. There, uh, I, yeah, but that, that all, I did all that because I really wanted to say uh, with, from, from my chest, I wanted to say that I was a professional satirist. <laughs> I love it, dude. Well, here's the thing. You're not necessarily wrong at the same time. So you got to go out on a limb, go tongue in cheek, have some fun, but are not dumb enough to know that it's probably true to a, <laughs> to a certain degree. I knew I was effed when I was watching TikTok and this dude took a drone off like the size of my fucking pinky finger at 200 miles an hour. And I'm like, you think they get shag one up like a pigeon? Like, all day long, cameras the size of my pinky finger, of course they're out there. But Birds Aren't Real was fucking funny to me. As soon as I looked, I was like, this is perfect. What a great fucking... You had to meet the greatest people. It, I, I was doing most of the work remotely, so I only got to talk uh, so? over Zooms and things. But it, it, it was a riot, just, just talking out what their plans were, I... like what... Like, they, because I, I joined up with them right before, uh, like, as they were doing, like, 60 Minutes and New York Times, and they, they were going to South by Southwest. Like, they were, they were really taking off, and they, they just they needed help on their back end. So I was just supporting, making sure that all the fans, all the, all, all the birders were out there, the bird truthers. The birders. The <laughs> And see, I mean, look, I just, like this warms my heart. When it, I see nonsense, I day. get happy. It was a field day when when Musk changed uh, Twitter. 
because that was something that we had actually been asking for uh, to, to Jack. <laughs> Why it was it was uh, it was surveilling everybody via a bird. We 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 wanted them to to just join the cause, and and Musk has actually shared some things, which is uh, he's not surprising. stupid. <laughs> I, I did read the uh, the backstory on it. Um, you know how the the group came together and the historical facts behind it, or facts. I don't know. I mean, yeah. obviously, you take it with a grain of salt. Part of the things are like, well, I can see some of this. So like, <laughs> it kind of makes sense. And then I did think the other day, um, or not the other day, but when I was reading this, yeah. I have not seen nearly as much bird shit as I used to see. I mean, the 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 government isn't faking the the shit. That's for sure. Right. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, well, if there's no shit, but there's birds. I'm like, hmm, I don't know. Like, used to be a big problem. You know, all the time your car would be covered in that stuff, but now it just doesn't seem to happen nearly like it used to. I mean, I I take a lot of road trips, and I I definitely notice what you're saying. Right? I've had a lot a lot less on my windshield. It, I I feel like it was a huge thing for a while, and it did die off. <laughs> like even in like comedy and satirical things, you wash your car. <laughs> you know the the proverbial bird dropping right off. Yeah, that joke is even gone. Nobody <laughs> even does that, so it's like. Not common enough. No, it's not relatable it's not, enough. No, it's not <laughs> relatable anymore. Why is it not relatable? Fathers. <laughs> Always stay mildly suspicious. Anything yeah. that I read, I sniff for implicit bias. I try to just go through, like, you know, I don't know, that you can't be Helen Keller and get information at the same time, but I try not to take in other people's fucking info. I keep it uh, as sterile as I possibly can. Or I make a note to always pay attention to the person's uh, viewpoint, that it's them commentating, that I'm not yeah. reading fact. Because that's really hard for some people to delineate. They think after they've perused a book that because it's been written, that means it's fact. And like, no, that's because it was written. That's it. Yeah. Like, I can write all sorts of shit. The test of time does not make it fact. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I do this for fun, just exercise, like, writing sometimes where it's, you know how articles all the time, they have hyperlinks, like the blue text, like, you, yeah, yeah. Click, you can go somewhere else. Yeah. So I always put links that don't have anything to do with what I'm saying. They Beautiful. don't prove the, the claim at all, but it looks real. <laughs> So, so I, I sometimes just, I haven't published any of these. I just share them with friends and I'm just like, Hey, look Bro, at this article. Isn't this wild? Should. This is the thing. I would argue that the people closest to you and the people that you're sharing those things with would probably agree with me if they said, that's the Ryan that should show up at the comedy show that should come into interviews and that should be a part of everyone's life because that's the realist Ryan. And I'm not saying you're not real. I'm saying that's yeah. the least inhibited, Ryan. I want yeah. to have you come back on after you do some stand-up. Because that, that's something that I have people pushing me to do. And it's yeah. way out of my comfort zone. I was bullied really bad. I was told to shut the F up growing up. I was told that I wasn't worthy or worthwhile or all those things. So any talent, any propensity to be in front of people was completely wiped off the plate. So I commend you for stepping into that new part, that new opportunity, because you're on a big stage, dude. New York City's yeah. smallest clubs are the biggest bang. So no matter where you land, you never know who the hell is going to be sitting there. But that's not to say to discourage you. That's to say that if you've got one chance, be a fucking snowflake. Not the ones they're talking about either. Be Ryan. 100% yeah. Ryan, and I bet for sure. That satirical shit, when you talk about linking things together, when you find a way to weave that tapestry of a story and throw those witty things in there, people are going to shit themselves. They're going to laugh so hard. <laughs> because there's another phenomenon that comes in comedy. Yeah. Generally, it comes from trauma. 
the best comedians have been to fucking hell and back. Go ask Pete Davidson. He'll tell you what his life feels like. Right? Yeah. You know? And, and some of the best comedians of like Robin Williams, you know, he had his whole traumatic background and, uh, you know, all the shit he went through. Dude, but they're the funniest people. Right? Because in order to get through things, you have to take things less seriously. Comedy and tragedy. Look at the logo, man. That's our logo. Yeah. And the masks represent the inauthenticity that we have in our interactions in life. If you pick up the phone for AT&T and then you pick up the phone for your mom, if the voices are different that you use, you should know you're not being real. Now multiply those. What about your interview voice? What about your, I'm going to try to pick up this girl voice. What about the, you know, all these personas. But at the end yeah. of the day, the human mind is only supposed to have one. So where do you think mental illness starts to come from? You have to remember every person that you were, not just who you are. Because you're always afraid of going back to an interaction and not remembering who the mask was at that time. There's a burden in that. The older you get in life, that's called a midlife crisis. If you've been so many different people, so much so that you're holding a sack of masks over your shoulder everywhere you go, eventually you're going to collapse. Yeah. The odd thing, you didn't have to hold them to begin with. It was a self-imposed pain. All out of fear of being hurt. Yeah. Weird, right? And weird animals. I, I can't wait to see you get on stage and unleash that wedge. I would love if you send me some of your writing, dude. I would love to take a look at it. I love creativity, you know, and right. comedy for sure. I, I, need, I need to write a lot more to, to, to share a lot of my stuff because m most of uh, what I've done was primarily back in high school because, like I said, I've just been overwhelmed but and inundated that was with the political. I would say I'm glad that you're revisiting Ryan before the innocence was taken. Yeah. Right? That's going to be so cool. You should look back at that guy and look at the beard that you have now and that cool hair that you have. You have dope hair, man. It's like, it's, it's, Thank you. it's a good hairstyle. So you look back at that kid and you tell him thank you. Right. Thank you for yeah. being strong enough to get you where you are. You know, that kid didn't do anything wrong. Didn't deserve it. And you deserve a chance to be on your feet again, pursuing what you love and what you're passionate about. And don't feel guilty for not advocating for everything else in the world all the time, because the world is not at its whole without you being you. Right. The benefits of having Ryan in our life may be the comedy at this point. Maybe the advocacy is part of the comedy. Comedy heals wounds. Yeah. Really does. So do you have anything you want to put out before we uh, wrap up? Well, definitely want to get the uh, couple phrases across, things that have helped me just uh, throughout my journey. Uh, things that I I've felt have been very powerful. One, uh, this phrase, I heard this from Professor Marshall Gans. He worked with uh, Cesar Chavez, uh, California labor movement, and also in the early Obama administration. Uh, he's a professor from Harvard. He says, uh, you never know what someone else is waiting to hear. So it's just always being open mm. to those conversations with others. I feel like Beautiful. a lot of this uh, session has been a therapy session. I feel like I, uh, you're gonna bill me. Uh, <laughs> oh, dude, I, did. I hope I didn't. I didn't uh, give you too much therapy there. Sorry about that. No, it was good. I'm saying it as a positive. Oh, not okay, as, okay. Like, well, you never know, man. I get a little ranty, but I feel the onus is on me to help people. Now that I have a certain set of lenses at this point in my life and at this juncture, and especially for your generation. I feel like your generation is one of the strongest ones, the most empathetic out there. However, much like Cyclops and X-Men, 
the empathy runs rampant without glasses. Without wisdom, it mows shit down. Everybody's life is on the block. So getting the opportunity like this to give someone like yourself an extra lens to be able to focus that empathy even better, it's my job. I want to speak to what, what you said with uh, where people tell you, like, maybe you should go out there doing stand-up. I, I think if, if you're comfortable in any case doing it, I say go ahead, try it. The, the worst that happens is you, you spend a night talking on a stage. If, if you're not comfortable doing that sort of stuff in person, record an album. Record something for yourself. Not a bad idea. Go people. old school Adam Sandler. Did yeah. you ever listen to those it, old CDs? I think you'd love that. I've listened to a couple of them. Oh, I listened. It's beauty. But, but it's just for me personally, in my journey, my, my father is a biochemist. He, throughout his entire life, he's been going on stages, discussing various uh, medicines with doctors. So I've just, from a very early age, understood, oh, some people just get paid to talk in front of others. Mm, correct. That's just a thing. So I never feared speaking in front of others. No. I never had that fear. I know many people who aren't comfortable speaking in front of crowds. And for that, it's just to each their own, do what you can. Right. Well, you're either and, made for it or you're not. You have a different talent deep within you that'll show itself in a different way. I got no problem being who you want me to be on stage. I have a problem mm -hmm. being myself on stage because I have low self-esteem and I don't yeah. have that self-love that I should. And this whole show has been a journey in that that throughout this whole entire venture, it's gone from audio to video to looking at people to, fuck, now they're making me do TikToks soon. I don't want to do that shit. But I don't yeah. want to do it not because it won't be fun. I don't want to do it not because I'm not going to enjoy it while it happens or that I'm going to reach people or anything like that. I don't want to do it because I'm ashamed of me for weird ways that nobody else could ever even fathom. Because nobody cares what I look like. They only care what they look like. Try to remember what somebody wore to work yesterday. You can't. You only remember what you wore. Unless it was Carl with the pit stains that he always wears. Nobody remembers what the other person wore. They're always thinking about themselves. But it's a fear that I have too. Getting up in front of people and being me is completely different because nobody's being me. Nobody's being themselves. They're not. Our own worst critics. I, I certainly have a lot of that negative self voice too, and it has stopped me from performing for a long time. But I just say to you, just like it, it, it is that self love factor. It mm. is. It has to come from yourself. Uh, I think personally, for for me, it's like if I'm really feeling down on myself, self esteem is down. Mm. I just get cheerleaders, whether that's friends, whether that's family, Amen. people that I know like will gas me up, even if it's a terrible set. And I love then it. We just had we had a good night. It's like I can't believe you did the worst jokes on stage. Yeah. It's like yeah, it happened. But when you have that group of people that you can be that vulnerable with, there's nothing better because then it's not a it's not a far fall. Being yourself, yeah. when you have friends there with you, when you do get the opportunity to just be you. It's not the fall that you believe it would be. It's not as difficult as you believe. It's allowing, I'll even say this, the moment that you love yourself around those people, they're going to accept anything that you do because you love yourself. Nobody loves people that don't love themselves. And I'm sure that when you're in the presence of your friends, you love yourself because you feel yourself through them. You know that they're there with you. So I would say you always should have hype men. You should always have your friends. Gary's motto, he's not here today, but Gary's motto is hype your friends, right? No matter who it is out there, I don't care what you're fucking drawing. Dude, that's the best version of what you did today, right? It's not a lie. At any given moment, it's the best of what you've done in that moment because the rest of it isn't here anymore. Unless you've got a time machine, it doesn't matter. It's all about loving what you have now, right? Yeah. Hype your friends, get that group of people around you and laugh at mistakes, dude. Mistakes are fucking funny. Dude, so funny. I've done so much stupid shit. I've been here tied up with wires or screaming at video editing, not realizing <laughs> that I just simply didn't have something on that I should have or 
it's always me. Like I'm angry at the world in these situations. And then I find out it was me. But there's a difference between now and my past lives. I'm not angry that I'm doing this. I love doing this. I love being angry at this. I love being sad at this. I love being happy at this. Why? Because it's me. For the first time in my life, I enjoy fucking up because I'm not going to fuck it up again. And I know the next one's going to be better every single time. I'm like, get it out of the way. All right, it's fucked up. I don't care. Now. Before I cared, cared so much that I wasn't painting my own picture. And you're about to go to jail. <laughs> they are coming. They are coming. <laughs> Ryan, give me another. Well, give me another quote before you go, because I know you had a yes. couple. I want another yeah, one. Yeah, I just just this one last one. It's uh, I, I put I hope these it goes on my well business. with sirens, because that will make me it, laugh. It's uh, Mount Sinai Hospital. Oh, that's sad. Uh, but they're they're just up the street. But it's uh. So there's this one quote, I put these on my business cards uh, when I was going around the country. Uh, this is a quote from the, the Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud uh, translated. It is uh, to save a life is to save the world entire. Basically meaning that each life, each person, each interaction uh, has the ability to have a ripple effect mm -hmm. uh, to, to impact so many other people who say one conversation that your grandfather had could easily be the reason that something's happening this week. And it, it's very hard to measure. It really it's, is. It's very, but, but it's a quote that I hold true and near and I, dear to my heart when I'm working on violence prevention work, human rights work, or even just comedy, just ta talking to people, sharing observations, because you never know, like I said, you never know what someone's waiting to hear. And each interaction could breathe new life. I pass out keys. It's not up to me to pick the locks. It's not up to me whether you use them. They might even hit the ground. Someone will pick it up when it's their time. And it might be the first lock or the last lock and a succession of locks that give them that understanding. It's not my job to convince anybody of anything. I used to think this. I used to stand on a soapbox and yell, you're better than this. Why don't you see this? Why can't you get this through your head? You know it's wrong. I can see you willingly fighting this for whatever reason. Going to be judged by somebody, whatever it is, right? I can see you doing that. But you don't have to. You don't have to defend things that don't mean shit. Right? The ripple yeah. effect is the ripple effect. We're supposed to be good to each other. For the simple fact that when you do unto someone, right? You don't have to be religious to understand this. Do unto others is very simple. Because if I always treat you well when I interact with you, how are you going to view me when you come back? Well, you're going to yeah. be happy to see me every time. What happens with our interactions in life? If we're always trying to do right by each other, each interaction, we're never upset to see each other. You will attract good people through good actions, through good karma, through caring, no matter how minuscule it is. You could be that key. I don't care if it's that little old luggage key. Remember that one that I don't even know how they expect you to keep that motherfucker big, right? But yeah. that might be the key to grandma's lock that she needed to understand, you know, in order to get the chance to reconcile her entire life. Just through one understanding. Oh, shit. I get it now. So I see you passing out keys. And I would say continue to pass out keys. Give them different coatings. If you're a fucking a comedian, make them rubber coated or give them polka dots or make them fucking <laughs> smell or do something. Scratch and sniff keys. Like in all sorts of shit. But so Ryan, keep throwing keys. Be a lighthouse. I say that to everybody. Be a lighthouse because a lighthouse doesn't have to do shit except for be itself and it will guide people 
the way to go. They'll find their own direction. They don't even have to come to you. They just need to know that someone else out there is strong enough to be themselves and then they can stand up and do the same. So my hat's off to you. And I apologize for being the generation that let your innocence be taken away. Um, and to those children, I apologize just because it hurts my heart to think about that situation. But I do recognize that you're not holding that against me or anybody else at this juncture, which is honestly good for you more than anything. We're all in this together. Dude, we're we? all on this earth. We're all in this country where we're all experiencing these things at different levels, at different times, at different intensities. But we are all here. We're all on this boat. And I just want to see it keep floating. It's going to because of people like you. I genuinely appreciate you, Ryan. All right. Remember, everybody, be cool and keep learning. We just one second.